Hey, this is Adrian Hernandez, and welcome to the NIH Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. We're here to give you some extra time with our speaker and ask them the tough and interesting questions you want to hear most. If you haven't already, we hope you'll watch the full Grand Rounds webinar recording to learn more. All of our Grand Rounds content can be found at rethinkingclinicaltrials.org. Thanks for joining. Hi there. Welcome to today's uh, podcast from the NIH Collaboratory. We want to welcome everyone. Uh, we just finished up a great uh, Grand Rounds, and today we're here with uh, Rich Platt and Chris Granger, who will be reflecting on the Impact AFib, an 80,000-person randomized trial using the Sentinel Initiative as a platform here. So welcome, uh, Rich and Chris. I wonder at the beginning here if you could, if one of you could just uh, give us a, a very brief overview of what you're doing. Maybe Adrian, I could start by just stating something that's an important background. That is, this is an enormous public health issue. The fact that atrial fibrillation is one of the most common causes of preventable stroke, and that that uh, two thirds or more of those strokes could be prevented, and yet we've seen, including in the Sentinel Common Data query. That, that only about half of patients are, are being treated, maybe even less than that, who have atrial fibrillation and risk factors for stroke and, and have clear guideline indications for this treatment. So we felt to begin with, we had a compelling clinical gap that could be addressed with this type of a program. And then we had this concept that's based on some other work that we've done that if we have an education intervention focused on patients, that that might well help to close that gap with a low-level intervention, and that's critically important. So this, so the intervention that we're studying is targeting patients who have atrial fibrillation and are not being treated with anticoagulants based on the information from the five data partners that are collaborating from the Sentinel collaboration and, um, and, and identifying patients in, in these health plans that are uh, candidates for the study. And then they're being randomized to either the patient education intervention combined with notifying the providers as well, either an early intervention or a delayed intervention, in which case uh, simply the provider is being notified uh, a year later. Rich, um... Tell me uh, a little bit why uh, Sentinel is a, a great platform for this. Uh, originally, uh, Sentinel was designed for essentially uh, safety surveillance, and I find it very interesting that uh, the FDA has taken on this of thinking about how can a pragmatic trial be used. From the very out- outset, Adrian, FDA has, uh, has said that it wants uh, Sentinel's resources to be a national resource for a wide array of activities. And particularly with the growing interest in uh, using real-world evidence, FDA saw um, an opportunity to uh, to test Sentinel's ability to serve as a, a platform for clinical trials. The thing that uh, among the things that's uh, that's sort of a first uh, here is uh, our our working across several health plans simultaneously. Uh, health plans have done uh, randomized trials before. We. Uh, in, in fact, essentially all of the Sentinel data partners had experience doing clinical trials. But the, uh, the, the notion of coordinating across uh, several of the nation's largest, uh, uh, largest insurers um, by being able to use the Sentinel infrastructure was really new, and that's, that was a major piece of what uh, FDA was interested in testing. The goal here is uh, 
to see whether this intervention can actually improve uh, the use of oral anticoagulants and improve health outcomes, but but equally to uh, see whether it's possible for this to be a uh, a model for additional studies. Now, um, it's it's of note that uh, this is a randomized trial, and uh, Chris, I wanted to, you to comment is that the normal process it seems like for health plans or health systems would just be to. Um, if they do anything, to, to just send a letter out to say um, you have this problem and you should consider X. Um, why is randomization important here? Well, Adrian, we, we were really fortunate to have the group that we're working with, the leaders of the research arms of each of the health plans um, in, uh, working with us, and they were very eager to have a rigorous design because it's very uncertain whether or not these mailings these communications to their patients are making an impact on their care and their outcomes. So there was a desire to have a rigorous design and the opportunity to to randomize patients as the most rigorous design with the most um, valid control group um, uh, in in this project. Rich, I wanted you to comment a little bit about uh, the sample size uh, here. Um, It looks like it's an all-in approach, which is... uh, not the typical way we uh, consider sample sizes. So uh, how'd you guys decide that? In these health plans, that meant among people who would, be, who would be eligible for intervention because of the contractual relationships that the health plans have with uh, purchasers, uh, that, that meant uh, looking for uh, everybody who was eligible. And um, our, our headline uh, the title for the for the uh, 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 webinar we just had was uh, an eighty thousand person randomized trial. At the end of the day, it'll be uh, closer to eighty eight thousand. Did you guys have any sense of what's the expenses that um, health plans or health systems are um, enduring just sending out information? Uh, Chris, you commented earlier that um, some of these health plans are. are sending out information about uh, uh, health problems, but no one knows whether that uh, is effective. Well, it's commonly done, Adrian, as we know, including to providers as well as to patients to send um, information. And as is true of all too many things we do in healthcare, uh, the confidence that that's making any real difference is is low. We simply don't know what the impact is of uh, much of this activity. The, the individual cost of mailing um, uh, a uh, information sheet or communication to a patient is modest, um, but the, uh, the cost of sending it out to um, thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of participants in these health plans then becomes substantial. So I think there is a real desire to know is this type of activity having an effect? So, uh, Rich, um, uh, I wonder if you could get a sense of, uh, on the cost here uh, for doing the study. It's an order of magnitude uh, improvement over the usual cost of, uh, of interventions, but, um, but it's not close to being free. But, Adrian, I will point out those of us who have been more accustomed to the cost of a traditional randomized trial, especially when we're talking about including important clinical outcomes as part of our uh, objective um, is, um, you know, hundreds of times the cost of what we're talking about here. And as you earlier pointed out, um, we're also taking an approach where we're including all eligible patients because we have constructed it such that it fulfills the criteria for waiver of consent. 
So we have a study that's both more efficient and more generalizable. So Chris and Rich, uh, thanks again for a great uh, podcast. I uh, really enjoyed hearing about uh, impact and what we'll see down the road uh, leveraging Sentinel for pragmatic trials. So as a reminder, our next podcast will be with uh, Andrew Fawcett on considerations for the return of genomic results. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for joining today's NIH Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. Let us know what you think by rating this interview on our website, and we hope to see you again on our next Grand Rounds, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. <music>